0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. All right. Good morning, everyone. The
1: Bible reading today is from Philippians, chapter 1, starting in verse 1 and finishing at verse 11. Please, Please take, take out your Bibles or your phones and join and me as we read God's Word together. While you're looking for the, the scripture, scripture, I'll introduce myself. I'll, my name is be Melanie, although I'll most people call me Mel. And my husband, husband Peter, Peter and I have been attending City-on-Hill, city on hill, Balbanese, for the last four years. years. Alright, Alright, let's start, let's start reading in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. 1. Paul, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who I, Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all may my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness This is the word, word
0: of the Lord. Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Mel. Hey, good morning, church. It's great to be with you here this morning. As mentioned, my name's Pat. I have the real joy, the real privilege of being one of the pastors here at Sea Hill. It's awesome to see so many faces uh, that I don't recognize. love this time of year because I get to meet lots of people, and that is my role here. I'm the community missions pastor. Uh, so I'd love to get to know you. If we don't know each other yet, come say your day after the service. Um, today we are continuing our series in prayer. We're in the second last week, the penultimate week, if you will. Uh, and I've really loved kicking off January, thinking about prayer, talking about prayer, uh, because it is, it's really going to shape how we think about our year. Uh, in the first week, uh, Neil spoke to how, about the, the fact that right now, Jesus is praying for you, he's praying for me, and that is a great thing. And last week, Dave Chiswell came and preached to us about who we should pray for, who, who we should pray to, sorry, how we should focus our prayers to God and not uh, to other people. And that was a great reminder. And I thought today, as I was thinking about what to speak about, we would look at this section of Philippians where Paul prays for other people, because that's a great thing to do. Uh, I also just want to acknowledge that there's heaps of kids in the room, and that's fantastic. If your kids start making noise, I don't care, it doesn't bother me at all, I'll just speak louder. Uh, The only person who cares about it is you. If you do feel more comfortable, if you're a nursing mum or something like that, there is a nursing mum's room behind the sound desk, and there's also going to be the sermon played out into the foyer if your kids want to have a bit of a run while you can still listen to the sermon. Great. Let me pray before we get into it. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. We thank you so much for your word, the fact that it is good for us, that it rebukes us, that it challenges us, but it also encourages us and builds us up in righteousness. Lord, as I speak today, uh, may you be made big, may I be made little. Uh, we, may we really understand a half prayer. May we be driven to love and serve one another deeper by your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, Carly and I just got back from a couple of weeks off. Uh, we had a great time down at Wilson's Prom. We were able to get away. We took the Rugrats. Uh, we took them down to the beach. We do this every year. We live in this tent. It's pretty rough, but it's like our place of decompression. It's our place of recharging. Uh, it's just what we love. And one of the things that we love to do, how cute is my daughter? She's great. I had to slip that one in there. Um, it's one of the things we do, we, we go down there and we, we actually camp with a whole bunch of people who don't go to church. Uh, they, don't, they don't kind of believe what we believe, but we have a great time, we go down with five families and we spend the whole time with them chatting, and I was actually out in the surf, surfing with one of my mates, and we'd had a couple of days of great waves and this day it was pretty flat, and he turned to say to me, he was encouraging me, because I was pretty like, oh you know, I might go in, there's nothing much here, and he kind of said... Hey, mate, just think of the best day at work that you had last year. What you're doing right now is still better than that day. And I, can't, I, get, I get what he meant. Better to be here than at work, sure. Nothing beats this kind of thing. Nothing beats holidaying. Nothing beats surfing. But to be honest, I was able to look him straight in the eye and say, No, nah, mate, this isn't even close. I love my job, I'm so honoured to be a pastor here, I love these people in this room and I know for a fact that the other pastors who love and serve you in this room feel the exact same way as I do. In fact, this day of surfing is not even close to the worst day that I had at work last year and I realise that is a unique position but I just love people so much and I particularly love the church. I have a real heart for it. We, as the pastors, we care for you. We're praying for you. We are for you. And so, when I was thinking about what I should preach on today, when you get asked to preach on prayer, it's like the worst topic ever to be asked to preach on because you could literally say, All right, maybe I'll preach on Genesis 1 or Revelation 22 or anything in between because the whole Bible is about our relationship with God, how that's broken and how that's now repaired. We could literally take it anywhere. But I thought of this prayer in the Philippians, at the start of Philippians, is often overlooked and is actually a great instruction about how we should pray for one another. So today we're going to look at this small passage and hopefully it encourages our heart towards deeper prayer. Hopefully it deepens our theology towards prayer and hopefully it drives our practice of prayer. So let me get into it as we look at our heart towards prayer. Please read with me again. Uh, Let's read from chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, how we come to prayer is a really complex matter. Sometimes we don't know if we should come with seriousness or shame. Sometimes we should come like a child. Sometimes we should come to prayer like a monk. But in the opening lines of Philippians, we meet Paul, who is praying for a group of Christians. He's just praying for a group of Christians. And we can learn a lot in these opening verses of Philippians about the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. Now, for some context, Paul was very familiar to the Philippian church, as 10 years earlier, on his second missionary journey, he had actually found himself in Philippi. Now, Philippi, which is in northeastern Greece, uh, which sorry, which is currently in northeastern Greece, uh, was a place where Paul and Silas went when they were traveling, sharing the gospel. We can read all about this account in Acts 16. It's an amazing time when they were there. They met a woman who was really rich. She was a seller of purple goods. Her name was Lydia. She heard them proclaim the gospel and her heart was changed towards Jesus. Immediately, her and her whole household gave their life to Jesus. It was an amazing moment. And then there was this poor demon-possessed woman, uh, this little girl who was being extorted by people who were making money out of her demon possession. Paul and Silas heals this little girl, and those people are so mad because they've ta- they- Paul and Silas have taken away their source of income that they throw Paul and Silas in jail. Next thing you know, they're sitting in jail. And what happens? amazing miracles break out. They proclaim the good news again. The jailer and his whole household are converted. So they've gone from no Christians in this town to a whole bunch of Christians in this town because of the witness of Paul and Silas. They then spend some time encouraging and building up the first church ever in Europe, which is the church in Philippi. And after that, they get kicked out. So here we are, 10 years later, Paul is writing a letter to that very church that they started in this whirlwind of a visit when they were in Philippi. And throughout the letter, we learn that the Philippians have actually sent some aid to Paul because he's once again in jail. He made a bit of a habit of getting arrested. But this time, he's in jail in Rome. But if you read this letter, it's not just a thank you for the gifts. It was really generous. I really like this coat. Rather, it's an encouragement to people who he clearly really loves. He encourages them throughout the letter to keep going and keep growing in their faith, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, to not give in to false teaching. But above all, the major theme of this letter is joy in every situation. Joy in every situation. See, this theme of joy permeates throughout the whole letter it is dripping off the pages of the letters of the Philippians. In fact, if he didn't say he was explicitly in prison, you would never guess that he was in an awful situation. You see, Paul here is sitting in prison under the possible threat of the death penalty. That is how Paul died. He was beheaded after being in prison. See, I think we can often think that Paul is like this superhuman giant who had no cares in the world, who was just always cruising around, because he's so famous amongst us. It's like Jesus and Paul are two of the most famous characters in the Bible. But we need to remember that when Paul was a missionary, he was a nobody. He was a nobody who spoke to nobodies. So here he is, sitting in jail, wondering if this day would be his last day. Wondering if he's going to be beheaded today. And what's he thinking about? What's he writing about? What would you be thinking about? What would you be writing about? What would you he's be praying about? He's praying about other people. He's focusing on other people. He's praying for the spiritual well being of people who are over a hundred kilometres away from where he is right now. Praying that they might have joy in their circumstance as he's having joy in his circumstance. And now this is because he's not some masochist who gets pleasure out of pain. No. Paul just cares so much about other people and he carries with him such gospel joy that he can actually focus on other people when he's in pain. Now, I've known one other person who kind of lives like Paul. One other person who I've met in my life who understands the weight and implications of the gospel uh, on their life that they could have utter joy in the pain. And I didn't even know her that well. Uh, Last year, I went to her funeral. Uh, Her name was Elizabeth, and she was an amazing lady. She had this whirlwind of a life, and I'm going to give you the 10-second preview of it, okay? Her life could be a movie. She was born in 1937, just before the start of World War II. She was born in China. Her parents were English missionaries, and at the start of the war, all the English missionary kids went into internment camps. So she spent seven years in a Chinese internment camp during World World War II. During that time, her mother tragically died. So after that, she rekindled with her father. They moved to Australia. She, was, uh, she got pregnant at a Bible college. It was a huge scandal. So back in those days, what happened? They sent her away and not him. They sent her to another city where she had another marriage, which failed as he walked down on her. So she got married again. She moved to Papua New Guinea to only find out that the man who she married already had two other wives. She suffered horrendous domestic violence managed to get a job, embezzle enough money to flee Papua New Guinea back to Australia with her and her four kids. Back in Australia, she lived below the poverty line for the rest of her life. I had the pleasure of spending a bit of time with Elizabeth, and you would just never guess that she had had so much suffering in her life. I've never wept so hard at a funeral. And it wasn't because of what had happened to her. It was because of the way that she carried herself. It was said the whole time that she had one foot in heaven. Her whole life she lived with gospel joy. She had a smile that would light up a room when she talked about Jesus. I think like Paul here, her heart truly understood the implications of the gospel. It wasn't a head knowledge that sat there. No, when you talk to Elizabeth, she knew who she was in front of the throne with throne of God. And she knew exactly the character who sat on that throne. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Both Paul and I'm sure Elizabeth had many moments of crying out to God in confused prayer like we all do. Those moments where you go, why is this happening to me? God, if you're all powerful, if you're all knowing, then get me out of this situation right now. This doesn't feel right just like Abraham, Sarah, Hannah, King David, Job, any character in the Bible you can think of, often have prayers of lament. You think of the book of Psalms, they're great encouragements about how we as Christians should pray. So many of them are prayers of lament because it is right to cry out to God in suffering. But the resolve to bring your lament to Him, to cry out to Him in frustration but then remember and focus on the good news of Christ is the thing that separates people like Paul and Elizabeth from a lot of us. It's the difference between gospel hope and gospel pessimism. See, for Christians, true joy is not dependent on your earthly circumstance. True joy is not dependent on your earthly circumstance. Instead, It rests upon the unchanging relationship with Jesus, the the source of true joy. Author Sam Storms, he puts it, Joy is not the absence of suffering in Paul's life or the life of the Philippians. It is purely the presence of God. Now, I know for a fact that some of you are in horrible circumstances right now. And I'm not saying don't be sad. It is right to be sad. I'm not saying that Christians don't get depression. Depression is real and it sucks. It can bring you down for a day. It can bring you down for a week. It can bring you down for years. It can bring you down for a lifetime. What I am saying is that the gospel, the fact that your suffering will end, church, your suffering will end. In fact, everybody on earth suffering one day will end. That is always good news. See, the word gospel throughout the New Testament is euangelion. It literally translated is good news. That is what Christians believe, good news. And for some of you, this good news might be the only joy that you have in your life right now. Cling to it. And when you do, like Paul for the Philippians, or like Elizabeth for me... This kind of Christianity is contagious. It spreads to others. It often draws us further into the faith. You see, Paul demonstrates such a joyful, thankful heart that should characterize each one of us. During our own mess, we should never lose sight of praying for others. When offering prayers for others, we are actually diverted away from our own problems and to the problems of others. And this kind of selfless praying is actually good medicine for our own souls because it helps us to take our gaze off ourselves, refocus on Jesus and what He's doing for other people. It can be a hard thing to believe, especially if you're in the thick of it. So let's turn now and have a look at how Paul had the confidence to pray like this as we turn to look at the changing work of the grace of God. Let's read from verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. Now, a few weeks ago, with a couple of months planning and the help of some unbelievably generous people uh, who actually come to this church, My wife and I pulled off the impossible at this stage of life. We went for a date. Saved your applause for the end. It was was pretty amazing. We went out to see our favourite musical, Hamilton, uh, just before it closed in Melbourne. I feel like we were the last people in Melbourne to see it. Uh, It seemed like everybody else had taken that same selfie outside the star. But if you've been living under a rock and you have no idea what Hamilton is, let me give you a quick synopsis. It's a musical about the American War of Independence with a particular focus on one of the founding fathers of the USA, Alexander Hamilton. The whole musical, it focuses on his military career, his political career, his love life, his family life and most importantly, his legacy. But really, the whole musical is just a massive mirror back to our society about our want for greatness, our want for purpose, our want to be remembered. And there's this great song in the musical called Satisfied, where the, it claims that Alexander Hamilton is so driven, he's so entrepreneurial, that he will never be satisfied, he will never be content, he will never be fulfilled. At the top of the world won't be enough for this man. He will never be satisfied. And it's kind of, for a lot of us in our life, it's, it's true. Our culture makes us constantly feel like we're missing out, it leaves us longing for more. But for most of us in our Christian walk, it's the exact opposite. We sadly are satisfied with our growth. I know this is my problem and I suspect it's yours as well. It's not actually that I want too much from God in prayer. It's actually that I expect too little from Him. You see, when it comes to spiritual maturity, we can get pretty content with a little bit of change, a little bit of growth, a little bit more theological understanding. And because we're satisfied with this change, we stop praying for the big things. Maybe we've been let down in prayer before and that makes us doubt God's amazing, changing power. We can feel let down by that time that we prayed for that person's physical healing and it didn't happen. Maybe you you prayed for that conversation but it didn't go as well as you thought it would. Maybe you prayed for that situation that didn't work out, that circumstance that hasn't changed for you. Maybe it's that sin that keeps on coming back to you. This can lead us to pray scared. It can lead us to pray half-hearted or, tragically, it can lead us to pray not at all. See, often we can attend a church service, a church service like this, which is packed with people who are ready to pray. We can go to a prayer meeting, we can go to a gospel community or a Bible study and just have a very meh attitude to the gospel, to all that Jesus has done for us, right? I don't pray as I ought because I convince myself that what's going on in my soul is enough. I'm saved and my relationship with God is good, and that's good enough for me. And on one hand, that is absolutely true. But on the other hand, if I truly believe the gospel, if I truly believe that Jesus hung on a cross and died for my sins to repair my relationship with God eternally, how can I be satisfied with a little bit of Him? See, Paul, in this passage, he encourages the Philippians... And us with a simple but profound truth. He says in verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began the good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So to put it another way, church, God is not done with you. God is going to complete what he has started in you. God is not satisfied with sin in your life, and neither should you be. Paul here is so confident in the power of God that he believes the same spirit that turned the Philippians' hearts of stone into hearts of flesh is going to continue to regenerate them to be more like Jesus, that their old ways would not be their ways forever, that they would be able to actually grow and change, grow up and mature in their faith. You see, salvation is not by human achievement. You did nothing for salvation, but it is purely by divine accomplishment. Salvation was not, was not us working for God's acceptance. So being a Christian isn't working out of love to help Him keep on accepting us. It's not, us, it's not up to us to keep God's love. Rather, He's already done that for us on the cross it's done. It's finished. God has caused you to be born again. And you can be confident that He is completing a good work in you because He started the good work in you and He always completes what He starts. Does knowing this change your heart at all? Because when you realize this, when the penny drops, it's actually life-changing. It is altering. It allows you to cry out to Him in suffering more confidently. For more rescue, for more transformation, for more deliverance. It actually allows you to want more of God. I heard of this guy who barracks the Collingwood. Yuck. Um, but he also only watches AFL matches on replay. right? Really weird. But get this. He only ever watches AFL matches on replay if Collingwood wins like the worst football supporter ever. But to be honest, it's a bit like that for us. Church, we know the result. We know we are going to stand before God. We know that through Jesus, we are washed white as snow. It is done. It is finished. Stop worrying about your standing before God. If you're in Jesus, you are saved. We can be confident that He who started a work in us, is going, to finish, is going to finish it before the time of Jesus Christ comes again. So how is this affecting your prayer life? How does this affect your practice of prayer? How does having joyful confidence move us to pray for other people like Paul does? So let's turn and look at our last point, our practice of prayer. See, in verse 8 to 11, we actually get to read the prayer of Paul to the Philippians. And what does he pray for? Does he pray for a change of their situation or his? Does he pray for material blessing? He's got the uh, gospel joy, he's got the gospel confidence, and he prays for love. Not just love, but abounding love. Let's read again. "'For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus.' And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of knowledge, sorry filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God You see Paul's focus isn't on himself and his chains rather his focus is set on other people He has a deep conviction to pray for others And the thing that Paul prays first and foremost is abounding love. Now, the object of the love is actually not stated, but most commentators say that he's talking about love for other believers, since this is something that he goes on and on about in other letters. He repeats it in Ephesians and Colossians and Thessalonians. So, this is the stress that the Apostle Paul uh, places on Christians' love. So, Christians' love for one another. That's his intent here. He wants followers of Jesus to be united so that God may be glorified. And notice in, that in verse 8 he says, For God is the eyewitness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, it's not just those he knows, but it's all Christians who are at the church in Philippi. See, Paul's love for Christian, for his brothers and sisters is... Non conditional. This church has been around for 10 years since Paul has been there. There have got to be people in the room who Paul doesn't know. We've only been here for five years. We started with 50 people and look at us now. What are we going to be like in another 10 years? If Paul was writing to us, he would see none of us face to face. But you see, the crazy thing about Paul is that to make it to his top 10 My Fra- MySpace friends section, all you had to do is believe the gospel, trust in Jesus. And you're in. to stress this further how much he loves these people who he likely doesn't know that well anymore the word affection that he uses comes from the same word as internal organs paul is speaking metaphorically that he loves them from his core being he loves them as though they are part of him and this begs the question for us do you love the other Christians in this room like you love, like Paul loves these Philippians? See, we're meant to do more than just simply endure other believers. We must lovely, lovingly care for them. It's the opposite of our culture that says, I'm just going to surround myself with people who make me feel good. I'm just going to surround my people, myself with people who I can get something from. See, I've got some friends who I've known for a really long time, but they don't know me like the people in this room know me. If you and I have never had a conversation, you know the deepest, most fundamental part of me, and I know it about you. See, if we're in Jesus, the same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. How awesome is it that we're linked like that? How awesome is it that when someone else is praying in Chinese, or I'm sorry, Mandarin, we can understand their heart of prayer? How awesome is it that we're linked with Christians on the other side of the world, that we can reach out and pray for them and actually share affection for them? See, this allows Christians to pray for and encourage people in an amazing way, especially if they've never met them. Hands down, one of the coolest people I've ever met is this lady from Cranbourne, the cultural hub of Melbourne. So to become a pastor in the Anglican church, I had to get a box ticked. I had to get confirmed into the Anglican church, right? Because I was baptised in another church. And confirmation, for those who don't know, it's where basically you stand up and you confirm the faith so a lot of these kids who are getting confirmed, they've been baptised into the Anglican church and they're, they're taking that moment to decide, I will follow Jesus like my parents did. So I had to find out where the next confirmation service was going on. I went down there and so was, it, was, it, was, it was me and like three 14-year-olds. It was a pretty awkward situation. So after the confirmation, I got the tap on the head, all good, Anglican. And then I was, I was, I was beelining, beelining for the door, trying to get out of there quickly but this lady stopped me. Pat? I said, yeah. I was a bit nervous about where this was going. She's like, thank you so much for coming today. I read your name in our church letter that went around. I couldn't wait to meet you and I just wanted to give you this. She gave me a letter. It was the sweetest thing. She was like 80. And in this letter is a scripture and a prayer for me. She was encouraging me to run the race in my faith, to persevere in my faith. She knew nothing about me. Like I don't keep a lot of cards for my wife, but this. Like this is beautiful. See church, I really don't care how much money you make. I mean that so badly. I don't care who you know. I kind of don't care what you do for a career. But if you are writing to the next generation, if you are handing down the baton, if you are taking time out of your week to pray for, to write to, to encourage, if you are speaking to the city youth of our church about how they can persevere, if you're having people over dinner, if you're investing in people who you don't know, who make you a little bit uncomfortable, yes. Let's do that. See... Praying for the spiritual health of other people should be a marker of the church. There are people in this room that do that so well. I know a couple that got their hands on the list of people who were going to camp before we all went down there last year and they prayed for every 280, all 280 names on that list before we even got there. There are people who meet on Zoom on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings to lift up the prayer needs of our church. There are gospel community leaders in this room who print out their list and they pray for their whole gospel community each week systematically. The pastor team delights in praying for you. We pray for you both individually and corporately. We love it. All these prayers, church, they come from a place of love for you. We pray with joyful confidence in the finished work of the cross people are praying for you and this begs a very hard question if all of your prayers for everyone in this room were answered with a massive yes right now what would change to put it another way do you pray for the church do you pray for one another if it's a no no don't be satisfied with that. Change it. Church, this is a great year to be a church that is just on about prayer. Let's be a church that is joyful no matter what circumstance comes our way. Church, let's be confident that he who started a work in us, he who started this church, is not done yet. let's be a church that has genuine love and affection for one another that when we look to others when others look in they're compelled by a community of life of love and of maturity and if you're one of many of us that have decided that you want to do something about your prayer life maybe you're loving prayer and you just want to go deeper into prayer I have three very quick points of application for you this year firstly in your gospel communities actually share your prayer points open your mouth and speak them. Take those prayer points home of other people and pray for them regularly. The second one is linked to that. It's called habit stacking. If you struggle to create a new habit, add to a current habit. So we all brush our teeth, I hope. I'm told that we're meant to do it at least once a week. So when you go for your weekly brush or your twice-a-day brush, if you're some kind of psycho... Why don't you take that opportunity to pray for members of your gospel community? Why don't you take that opportunity to pray for members of your family? Why don't you take that opportunity to pray for members of work? Take the mundane and make it a time of holiness. Whether it's on a run, whether it's doing the dishes, whether it's driving on the way to work or driving the kids to school, why not make a prayer habit out of the mundane? And thirdly, lastly, out last year, our prayer habits as a church got a bit out of whack, okay? We didn't do it particularly well. This year we've scheduled every Sunday night, the first Sunday of every month, we're going to be meeting in the office and we're going to be praying for one another, praying for our church, praying for whatever comes to our hearts. Get to that. It's going to be cool. If you're a couple with kids, it's super hard to get to. Make sure one of you gets to it. If you can come to six of those prayer meetings a week, uh, a month, that would be Sorry, a year. No pressure. That would be amazing. I've I've never walked away from an engine room and thought, well, that wasn't worth it, okay? Come to those. See, Paul's prayer from prison is such a partial prayer. He cares for the body of believers so deeply. And I can say with all my heart, I honestly know how he feels. I really mean what I said at the start. My worst day at work—my worst day at work—was nowhere near as bad as that surf, and I love surfing. See, being part of the wider Christian family, I just adore. But being a pastor of this church, I just adore even more. And I can say that all the lead pastors—sorry, all the pastors here—we are praying for you so fervently. Be encouraged by that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the joy that the gospel brings us, for the way that you have reconciled yourself with us I and mean, that it is your work that does this and not ours. Father, I pray that this might become a deep reality for our whole church and that this might spur us deep into relationship with you and the outflowing of that becomes a relationship for one another. Father, make us a church that loves to pray for one another. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast.